You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 22nd of September. Up with the lark. It's still dark here in TW11, but set fair for a lovely day. I'm en route to Newmarket very shortly, where I will be for all three days of the Cambridgeshire Festival, much more of which a little later on the, in the programme, when you will get a bonus update on the most celebrated current jumps horse in training as well. Something to look forward to. But 18 of the industry's leaders have convened over the last 48 hours to decide the future of British horse racing. Cornelius Lyser is with me. Cornelius, two days ago, I said they had 48 hours to save British racing. It was rather grandiose of me, I, I admit. But what have they come up with so far? Yeah, it was a good, good catchy thought. Um, well, we know who they were, the 18. Come on to that in uh, in just a second. Um, but there is a, a statement from uh, this group of 18. Um, and the f- odds on favourites come in, uh, in that it was, quote, an extremely positive meeting. So that's a start. Uh, but, but but I joke, there is, there's, there's some nonsense in all this, but plenty of sort of corporate bullshit, if you like. But if you wade through it, there, there are a few interesting things. And they, they start with their overall statements. There was a shared acceptance of the challenges. OK, uh, I think we all know that. The need to work together. Well, that's been said before. Not everyone has uh, who's signed up to um, needing to work together always has done. But that's in this statement as well. Uh, they were unanimous on the need for serious and radical changes. Quite like the sound of that to make long-term improvements uh, to the industry. Uh, there was also an agreement that action is required to begin to address competitiveness in the short term, and a package of measures will be developed with this objective. So I think probably uh, so far so good. Um, but um, we get on then to areas of focus will include but not be limited to. And there are a whole lot of, uh, of bullet points here, uh, quite a lot, which are things like presentation and promotion of the sport's most high-profile events. And I think we all know that kind of thing. But uh, they uh, have pledged to look at the organisation of the racing product, including the fixture list and race programme. Uh, well, that's good. Uh, to um, encourage greater investment in ownership, in particular through affordable investment. And I think possibly the most significant line in the whole thing, to my mind, came at the second last paragraph of the whole thing before we got on to the 18 attendees. Uh, What did you make of this? The development and delivery of this strategy will be led by the British Horse Racing Authority, BHA. It'll be underpinned by a new industry governance structure which allows for greater progress by providing appropriate decision-making structures for commercial decisions. Well, I don't understand what some of that means, but that top line, the development and delivery of this strategy will be led by the British Horse Racing Authority. And this sounds as though the authority is going to be allowed, and I think that's the appropriate verb, allowed to demonstrate its authority. uh, And um, because there has been a a feeling that the authority has often been stymied by the racecourses, stymied by the thoroughbred group, 
But here, according to this, and uh, are you reading that in the same way? Yeah, I am. I am. And it's something that we've been talking about since we talked about the Savile plan, the Peter Savile plan that was presented to this group of 18 over the last couple of days, which was that it is is seeking to give the BHA more power and really to to try and explode the current stasis that's been brought about by this um, tripartite structure where nobody can really achieve anything meaningful and the BHA are being looked to to determine matters, but they don't really have a mandate to lead. Does Joe Somerset Smith as the new chair and Julie Harrington as new chief executive now have for the first time in perhaps a decade a proper mandate to lead British horse racing? And I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that is the most significant potential um potential improvement or, or potential development within within this press release and as i say there's plenty of bullshit in there there's plenty of lines like ensuring that the sports promotional functions are properly structured and resourced well they should be properly structured and resourced already um and obviously there are nods to integrity and regulation and to equine welfare quite rightly so environmental sustainability as well just yeah. that line about looking at the organization of the racing product including the fixture list and race program well we're in the middle of september this isn't going to happen till 2024 the, the results of all this till 2024 if in the ninth, ninth month of 2022 uh all this stuff can come out uh fixture list is is done and done, is is all um ready to roll for 2023 i think there must be a slight feeling that everyone's been talking about this for ages and ages and ages uh, in terms of the fixture list and competitiveness. And it's taken the ninth month of this year to get to that, and it's not going to come into effect until 2024. There'll be some who are a little bit disappointed by that. But, um, you know, it's all positive stuff. Uh, there'll be plenty of cynics around. I'm probably half one of them. But um, the ball has been thrown to this group of, or well, they've created their own ball. They've thrown it, by the look of it, at the British Horse Racing Authority. And now, and we've talked about this on this podcast before. It is time for those big beasts at the British Horse Racing Authority, who, let's face it, have paid a lot of money uh, to roll up their sleeves, run with that ball, and to come up with something. And it looks as though the others are giving the opportunity for them to come up with something and come up, up with it pretty quickly. And let's not, you know, we, 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 let, let's not be in six months' time saying, oh, it's still taking quite a long, I'm not sure, about all this sort of thing. They've got to now run with that ball and get something done. Yeah, I think it was Simon Basildet, the former chief executive of the Jockey Club, who said, don't waste the opportunity presented by a crisis. And I, it sounds like they're not. I mean, I talk, I've talked to quite a few of the 18 that were in there. They say it's for Julie Harrington and Joe Somerset smith to make the statements. They don't want to go on the record. They want the BHA to lead this. But the tone clearly has been quite conciliatory and quite positive over the last couple Absolutely. of days. That's all we can pass on for the moment. And if the BHA finally is going to be in a position where it is respected in terms of its governance, and there were those who at one point wanted it simply to be a regulator. It is somewhat ironic today that people are criticising it for its inability to regulate the situation with Sean Levy that we were speaking about yesterday yeah. properly. Now, Sean Levy's come out with a statement that's now clarified exactly what's happened, Cornelius. What's he said? So it was on, it was Wednesday last week at Sandown. He gave a random saliva sample, immediately informed that the sample had tested positive uh, for uh, amphetamine. Uh, he, in his statement, he said he was confident he hadn't consumed anything that could have led to that result and immediately requested the urine sample, which was taken with 20, within 24 hours. Six days later, the urine sample came back as a negative. Um, as a result of that saliva test, he lost out 
uh, on the Racing League final at Newcastle on uh, Thursday when he might have won quite a considerable amount of money. Other rides uh, as well. Uh, and he feels something uh, could have been resolved a lot sooner. Jane made a good point on the podcast, on Wednesday's podcast, put the money to one side, the reputational damage to him, even though uh, ultimately it's going to, he's done nothing wrong. The reputational damage is definitely there as well and needs to be in everybody's mind. Um, he, in a statement through Neptune Sports Management, Sean Levy says he'd be looking for a full investigation, as we all are, as to why this happened, and more importantly, to make certain it should never happen again. He said, um, uh, although I'm happy to be back riding late, uh, later this week, it's hard not to feel aggrieved. Too right at what has happened over the last few days. Some might say I've been unlucky with the false positive happening just before the Racing League final, uh, but I sincerely hope there are lessons to be learned from this and similar things don't happen to jockeys in the future. Uh, and, you know, the point has been made here and, and elsewhere about this um, random saliva sample. You know, can, can we, if one minute it's saying amphetamine and the next minute uh, the, the, the B sample, the urine sample, is demonstrating there was, no, there, was, there was nothing to be seen here, you know, how can we really trust this sample? So I don't think it's an option for the British Horse Racing Authority to, to just sort of um, uh, curl up in a ball. and Because I, I think I'm right in saying, am I not, that you attempted to get some comment from the authority in yesterday's pod and yeah. you were unsuccessful? Uh, and, and today as well. And, you know, they've been unfailingly polite in in, in coming back to me. And But, yeah, no, nothing again. And I'm presuming that the BHA's lawyers are saying, say nothing. But Well, I, well, I think the lawyers are involved because... You know, that, that Sean Levy, it's hard not to feel aggrieved. Of course, it's hard not to feel aggrieved. But apart from that, he seems to be the type of reasonable guy that I believe him to be. And he's saying grown up adult, taking a very adult um, type of attitude, you know, wants to make certain lessons are learned and this sort of thing doesn't happen again. But, you know, if suddenly it does transpire that this some kind of an error has taken place, some kind of a contamination or something has taken place, and he has lost lost out on tens of thousands of pounds. There are the riding fees he's missed out on as well. You know, he, he will have every right to be even more than yeah. aggrieved and to maybe have some people in, in wigs with the two letters K and C after their name actually t taking up uh, his uh, his particular case. Um, so... Yeah, this 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 is quite this is this is pretty serious and does need looking at uh, very much. So I, I was just wondering, am I? I was just wondering, is it really necessary to stand somebody down straight away automatically? Yeah, yes, it is because yes, it is. If you have, yeah, because if you have a saliva test that gives an instant result, yeah, and it's a positive, you have to stand them down straight away because you have to assume that the result is correct. So you can't allow them to ride that day because it's not safe. But what you can do is to say, right, we're going to get this urine sample expedited and send it off. So you so you come back, so it comes back the next day, and then communicate to the public effectively exactly what's happened. That you must assume on a rapid sample that it is not necessarily um, an absolute absolute proof of guilt it is just an indicator it's a preliminary indicator of a not of an irregularity and then and, and has been sent off a urine sample so you you then basically you miss your rides that afternoon that's 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 tough but, but i think they, back the next day got to, i think you've got i think you've got to be you've got to expedite those urine samples if 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 these aren't reliable enough uh, and it, it it appears that that on this evidence that they're, they're not 100 percent. and ultimately the authority can't 
say, we'll have an internal investigation and we'll refer the matter, bloody blah. We need some transparency here. We need transparency. It, the, the, the meeting they've had over the last couple of days has gone from we're not telling you who was there to being transparent about all the attendees. Transparency in whatever walk of life in 2022 is essential for confidence. Uh, and so everyone's got to be transparent about what went wrong in this particular case. Now, Cornelius, news that so many of you wanted to hear during the course of the year. A great 10 furlong European grass horse who is, is proven over that distance and has, has real champion potential uh, has been rerouted from his long intended target in Ascot's champion stakes to the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe to great fanfare. No, it's not Baid, it's Vidani. But still, it's a story. Yeah, this this will be remembered. Twenty twenty two is the year of Baid, but um, you know, in Vedeni, an outstanding uh, horse that would have grabbed even more headlines in in different circumstances. But this is, uh, you know, it's pretty significant for the for the arc, which took a bit of a hit when Baid was confirmed from the champion stakes on, <clears throat> excuse me, Kipco British Champions Day at Ascot, October the fifteenth, and not the arc. And though just the presence of Baid remains a big draw at uh, Ascot, uh, the champion stakes by his opposition has lost itself an outstanding three-year-old for, for, for the Aga Khan, Vedeni Jean-Claude Rouget, uh, winner of the Prix du Jockey Club, the French Derby, and against his elders in the Eclipse Stakes at Sand. A tiny bit luckless probably in the Irish champion stakes at Leopardstown. The extra half mile that he will face will suit fine. And he adds an intriguing extra ingredient, doesn't he, to the, to the arc pot, the bubbling arc pot against Luxembourg, the winner at Leopardstown against Alpinista. So striking at York, can't wait to see her against the defending champion against Westover, against more of them as well. <laughs> the Vedeni team says it's down principally to the weather uh, because it's likely to be better the weather and better ground uh, in France, though Baid is clearly acknowledged as a talking point factor in all of this. What I suppose is now the big intrigue, uh, as far as these major races is concerned, is what happens to Adia um, after that splendid return at uh, at Doncaster, the, the arc being pondered apparently by Godolphin, the champion stakes apparently being pondered. There's plenty of water to go under the bridge in terms of the trainers' championship in Britain based on prize money. But there is just about 740,000 uh, to the winner of the champion stakes, 280 to the second. So that could potentially be relevant. And it's probably worth, uh, even though, as I say, there's lots of water to go under the bridge before the end of the trainers' championship, the end of the year. Uh, but because of a £28,000 race win at, or to the winner win at Goodwood today, Charlie Appleby has gone top. Uh, uh, that was a Goodwood, um, has gone top by about 15,000. The difference between them had been about 3,000 with Haggis just in front. And now we won't have a daily commentary on this, but now it's about 15, just under 15,000 with Appleby in front. But Adiar, I'm, I'm sure you agree what, what happens next with uh, with him is a real, uh, really interesting. Yeah, it will be. Uh, a tricky one. I think I'd be tempted just remembering how he had the whole field cooked on very bad ground furlong and a half out on the arc last year, that if it wasn't desperately soft and it looks as though it's not going to be, I think I'd give it another crack because he's just so talented at a mile and a half, as he showed in the derby. 
and the King George last year. He would add Rich Luster to it, but I understand the uh, incentive of the Trainers' Championship potentially as well with that huge prize money. And ask a big prize money this weekend for the Cambridgeshire Festival as well, uh, particularly for the eponymous race. And William Haggis has three big chances, including the front two in the market. The second favourite currently is Protagonist, who runs in the colours of Michael Buckley, better known for all those lovely jumpers. Yes, Breeders' Cup Classic, second toast in New York as well. But at the moment, the arguably best jumps horse in the world but i began by asking buckley whether he got as big a kick out of these high class flat horses i love them because i like the weather i mean i'm i'm as you've seen me sort of huddled up in the cold sometimes i'm not really a great cold weather guy and um i think um they're wonderful i just think good horses are thrilling and um if you're lucky enough to have a good one or I guess in the case of Constitution Hill, perhaps uh, something better than just good, then um, I find them equally thrilling, to be honest. I love it. And Protagonist has, has really found found a, a good stride lately. Are you getting plenty of encouragement from, from William Haggis that the Cambridgeshire is the sort of test that this horse could, could excel at? Well, it's been strange because he, he was in Ireland before and... Um, I thought that the ground this summer might be a bit quick for him because he seemed to always, you know, need maybe softer ground. I, I've, I've known from some jump horses as, as they mature, they get used to better ground than where they seemed like they were soft ground horses. Um, and his first run for William, he ran at Santa and he was fourth. Um, and I think Tom Marquan quite liked the horse. And then... The next time he uh, had a silly race over a mile and a quarter and it turned into a three furlong sprint, which I think he won by about two cigarette papers with. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous race and they they went no gallop at all. And then the last time he ran at Sandown uh, and he was drawn right on the outside and Kieran Fallon rode him. And I said, this horse always breaks well, so you may be able to tack over to the right anyway. But within... The first furlong, he was he he got to the front and was against the rail, and um, he won nicely there. So that was nice. And then I got a phone call from William about five days later. He said, "I've been thinking about your horse, and um, although he's been winning over a mile and a quarter, they always go faster in the Cambridgeshire. So I think he might have um, a chance in that." Well, actually, when I say this, sorry. That was before his last run when he said he needs to go up in the weights a bit. So I'm going to enter him at York or Sandown on the last Saturday of York. And he ended up running at Sandown. And I hobbled down there just for the race on my crutch, having duffed up my hip. And um, But it was, it was worthwhile. Needless to say, I went out to the front and he got back to the winner's enclosure a lot quicker than me. <laughs> um, yeah, for, for those who those who don't know, you you had a, you smashed your hip up on holiday. Are you, you recovering? Is it feeling is it feeling better? Are you, what everyone wants to know is, are you going to be in good working order for the jump season? <laughs> never mind, never mind the horse. Are you going to be? Are you going to be all right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just taken a long time. I slipped on a tennis court. Um, Mr. Haggis, whose sister makes rather nice crutches, I rang him up and said, I'm going to need a pair of crutches. And when I told him that I'd been, I'd broken my hip playing tennis, I got a few choice words from him about doing anything quite so stupid once you're past about 25 or something. Anyway, um, he uh, 
So I'm going to be fine. It's just it just takes a long, long, long time because I've got a about a five inch nail down through my hip to keep it in one piece. Um, and so the bone has to grow around all of that, and so it gets. It gets really stiff if I walk too much, if I sit down too much. I, I mean, it's very hard to find anything you can do which is comfortable. Well, I mean, it's comfortable at the time, but then when you move, it gets very stiff. So I'm going to try and hobble off to Newmarket on Saturday to see the Cambridgeshire and then hobble down to Nicky's on Sunday to see for his open day and see Constitution Hill. And um, I hope my um, physio isn't listening because... She'll be really angry to hear that I'm abusing it so much. Um, of course, Nicky, after after his open day or his owner's day on on Sunday, he's going to have to answer all sorts of questions about Constitution Hill. Uh, is he is he making good noises about him and his well being? When I saw him the other day, he looks he looks great. I mean, he's um, he's grown up a bit since this time last year when he looked pretty. You know, a bit babyish, which is understandable for a jumper at four years old. So I think the summer at grass is he's, he's strengthened up a fair bit. He looks more of the um, the sort of article you'd hope for, um, and I think he's fine. I mean, it's early days for for these jump horses because he won't run until November sometime. Well, one of the last two weekends in November are really the only races there are for him. Um, there aren't people often complain about these good horses running so infrequently and you know i'm i'm with them in a sense when i'm i when i'm a, a voyeur as it were and looking at them but when you end up with one you find out how few opportunities there are to race if you're if you're kept away from handicaps um do, do, i mean do you think you'd get more than more than four or five runs into him in a season. I mean, do you think you you could if if if, if it all fell in your in, in, in fell your way? Well, if you think about an obvious program for him, there's there's either the Fighting Fifth at Newcastle, which is on Hennessy Day or whatever it's called now. Um, it's not even called Ladbrook now. It's called I don't know, maybe Co- Coral. Coral. Yeah, it is. Um, and. Then there's the grade two Ascot hurdle the week before, which is two, three, but I don't think that would matter so much, but it's obviously a a much less valuable race. Um, And then there's either the Christmas hurdle or go to uh, to Leopardstown if you wanted to be adventurous. And really, you're then stuck waiting for, if all that goes well, pray God it does, you're waiting for Cheltenham with either if it still exists, the contenders hurdle at Sandown in early February, or going round and round in Wing Canton. I mean, Irish, just... Irish champion hurdle, Michael. Irish champion hurdle. Well, I think I have a struggle <laughs> <laughs> to get Nikki not to go to Ireland, but to go to Ireland yeah. only about four weeks before Cheltenham. Yeah, I think you would. Um, I'm, I'm, it's long, it's long odds against. I reckon. I mean, and, and, and I've got some sympathy with his point mm. of view on that. I mean, if it was slightly different. Um, I mean, he would be perfectly happy to go to to Ireland at Christmas time because you've got longer to get over the travel and all of that sort of stuff if, you know, it was a bad boat trip or something. Um, the one thing that... So let's say he ran in in, in November and December and February... Um, 
and then champion hurdle and if all went well this year funnily enough you could happily think about then going to Aintree because there's a big there's a month gap between Cheltenham and Aintree this year mm. I think I think the Grand Nationals on the latest date in the calendar it's it ever is. been it is so it makes Aintree and Punchestown very close together yeah so you can't do both of those very conveniently so what would that be that would be five rounds yeah, yeah. so you're looking at five probably but the good the good news is he, he sounds like he's in in all in working order at well, the moment so far so good I don't think anything very serious has happened as yet um, but he had a good summer. He looks he looked great coming in. He did a fair bit of sort of horse walk work and so forth with Charlie Vigas, where he spent the summer before he came back. And um, at the moment, is all is well. I just like every owner of a jump horse or any horse, but particularly jumpers. You just pray that he stays in one piece, and we can all find out. If he's um, as good as he looked last season, well, I'm. I have these sort of dreams that it's, it was all a mirage. I, sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it seems still to me somewhat ridiculous that he did what he did. So I, I ask learned people in the horse world: Is it possible that a horse could do something absolutely exceptional one day and be absolutely useless the next? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, it wasn't a dream. It was reality. Um, fingers crossed he returns in the same form. And fingers crossed that you return uh, in the same form as when I last saw you. And I will see you on Saturday. Good luck with protagonist in the Cambridgeshire. Thanks so much, Nick. Take care. Michael Buckley, best of luck to him in the Cambridgeshire on Saturday afternoon. And hope that hip recovers very soon. Good to hear good news of Constitution Hill as well. And on a jumping theme, Cornelius, you were paying your respects to... Uh, a man who was much loved and much respected amongst the National Hunt fraternity. Yeah, um, Jim Wilson, uh, Mr. A.J. Wilson, amateur jockey, then uh, uh, trainer as well, and a veritable sort of who's who of uh, particularly the National Hunt world assembled to pay respects and say goodbye to uh, Jim at uh, the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul at North Leach in the Cotswolds. Jim, described as a man of style and substance, uh, by the vicar, the Reverend Dr. Alicia Timmis, absolutely true, and um, plenty of style and substance in the congregation of more than 400, some said 500 people, standing room only, trainers including Nikki Henderson, Constitution Hill trainer, Jessica Harrington, Arthur Moore, Alan King, Kim Bailey, uh, former trainer John Edwards, with whom he had a lot of success, Nico de Boinville was there, former jockeys like Jeff King, Luke Harvey, uh, and big rivals in those amateur rider days, Mr. John Docker, uh, now Lord Darsbury, but Mr. Peter Greenall, Richard Russell and others. Um, and um, Jim is is best known for Willie Wampkins, uh, on whom he won one of the most competitive handicaps at Cheltenham three years running, for Little Al, winner of the Cheltenham Gold Cup in 1981. But also in 1980, he won when he was leading jockey at the festival. He won the Kim Muir on a horse called Good Prospect. Uh, and Good Prospect was sold not long after that, sold to... Then His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, now uh, the new king, Charles III. And um, a letter was was read out uh, in the uh, address given by a good friend of Jim Wilson's, Johnny Turner. A letter from uh, the, the now king to Jim after Little Al's success. 
congratulating him and saying he wished he'd he'd uh, followed uh, he'd followed um, Jim a little bit more closely and watched the races a bit harder because he might have had a bit more success with good prospect. And I think he was referring to the Kim Muir of March the 17th, 1981 and good prospect written by HRH, Prince of Wales and uh, the form book, which uh, Wagoner's Walk won the race. And I'm looking at the uh, result here. Um, good prospect, prominent to... This must have been a security nightmare. Prominent to fifth behind when blundered and unseated the rider at the 10th. So uh, only a few months before uh, his first marriage, Prince Charles's, King Charles's first marriage, there he was on the deck at Cheltenham. But he wrote to Jim afterwards and said, do you know, I, I wish I'd taken a bit more notice of some of the uh, hints you gave me, which was rather a nice thought. And it's nice to think that um, as as racing laments the passing of uh, of her Maj- her late Majesty Queen Elizabeth, that um, even if King Charles is not perhaps quite as enthusiastic, well, nowhere near as enthusiastic as his mum, he still has direct experience of racing. And just a pity he didn't win it that day. It might have uh, might have worked out better for the sport in the long run. Well, it's a great weekend's racing in the United States, particularly at parks in Philadelphia. One of the feature races, the Cotillion Stakes, features the Kentucky Oaks heroine Secret Oath. I'm very pleased to be able to connect with Wayne Lucas, uh, who is is with me now. Wayne, looking forward to seeing her back again. She's she's really tough, this this filly. How's she come out of her last run? Very, very well. She didn't have the trip that made it successful, even though she was second. But the... Uh I think that uh, the cotillion is going to fit her very well. You know, I think that she that mile, a mile and sixteenth, is well well within her wheelhouse, and it makes her, you know, very effective with you know with, with her devastating kick. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how she adapts. I was going to um, ask you a, qu- a question on that theme, really, because when we were together in, in, in Churchill Downs, and I, I was standing right beside you watching the race, that's what she deployed so effectively on quite a, a moist surface at just a little bit further than that. Do you think subsequent to that, she's rather been outstayed, outground, if you like? No, I, I don't think that she has to take her track with her. I think she'd run on almost any surface well. Uh, she's, uh, she's got such an efficiency of motion. She, she glides, and uh, I've had some really nice fillings, but I don't know if I ever had one that moves as smooth and easy over the ground effortlessly like she does. So how's she been training since her last run? Are you pleased with her, with her work schedule? Yes, her energy level's back. You know, she's back up to, uh, you know, that level I thought that we had her in the spring. I like the way she's responding. Uh, she stayed up at Saratoga after the meet was over, and it was quiet and serene and grazed every morning a little bit. And so she's had the she's had the great life here for the last month. I look for a real strong effort. She's she's run she's run plenty. She's obviously quite tough. I I got a, a strong sense in in Kentucky this year of. Uh, of a filly that, that meant a lot to you that had chiseled her way already quite quite firmly into your heart um what what is it what is it that you admire so much about her wayne 
I just uh, she come along at the right time. We uh, we uh, lost with our key clients. We had the passing away of Bob Lewis and Bill Young and Gene Klein, and they, you know we lost those key people. And uh, here she comes along and gives us that super. After having all those Phillies ladies secrets, Serena song, winning coffee, I haven't opened mine. Name a few. We had a gap there, and then here she comes, and uh, she she brought us back right to the center stage, and so she has captured uh, our heart. But she's got a strong uh, fan base too. We get letters from everybody, and she's very very popular with the racing public. And I, I know, having having been to this this day at Parks, the 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 the, lo- the local crowd, the the people who are, are there more days than they're not, they absolutely love this one day of the year where they see some some absolutely superb horses. They've got some wonderful horses running in the in the Pennsylvania Derby as well, the the Tabers and the Zandons and the White Barriers. Yeah, and then they get the top riders; they'll all be there. Ortiz, Lewis, Saez, all of them. And they get it's it's a beautiful uh, timing that the uh, the timing the the position of these two races are on the schedule of trainers uh, is really good. They fall right in there, giving you a chance to get a really good race before the Breeders' Cup, and uh, it's very well placed. How do you, if everything goes well uh, this weekend, and it sounds like everything's set up for a good run? Um, how do you look at that whole division at the moment? How do you look at that distaff division, particularly with regard to to distance and track at Keeneland and opposition? Where, where, how do you see it all shaking down? It's going to be it's the, the distance and the track and everything is going to be about perfect. It's going to help all of us. The nest is definitely. Uh, a sensational and good filly, but she can't afford to lose to us again. Uh, I, you know, she's not in the cotillion uh, with the rest of them, and uh, so they'll they'll meet us in the Breeders' Cup, where it'll be, you know, a good good effort, good good surface, actually distance. It doesn't help either one of us, but. She can't afford to lose another race to us, and, and because it'll change things around for for the for the championship honors for the end of the year. Yes, yes. How how sweet would that be if you could get another one over her? <laughs> I'm old, you know. I don't think there's that many more left. But uh, this is, this would be fun. I uh, I would uh, enjoy it as you might guess. Wayne, thanks so much for sparing some time today. All the best. We'll see you Saturday. Okay, 3.20 on Saturday is the 2022 running of the Goffs Million, one of the most prestigious sales races. Uh, Hasn't been run in any form since 2009. It was back with a bang. The entry looks strong. The Goffs Group Chief Executive Henry Beebe joins me now. Henry, it's back. Um, Is it back for good, do you think? Well, it's back. It's back for the time being, anyway. I mean, uh, who knows what will happen in the future? But it is back and back with a bang. It's worth one million two hundred thirty-four thousand euro. There'll be six hundred seventeen thousand. The winner. There'll be prize money down to tenth place. There are twenty-four runners as I speak. Uh, Twelve from Ireland. Twelve from Britain. It's really caught the imagination, and we're very, very excited by it. I mean, that 
even split must be one of the one of the the biggest pluses for you isn't it that you're getting that many from from across the sea absolutely i mean originally we hoped there might have been been a couple of american horses in there as well because there were some at earlier entry stage but to have half the field coming from england just demonstrates what what the race has done how it, how um how it's caught the imagination of buyers but also what the appeal of Wolby is and the fact that it's one of the most important sales uh in the yearling sales season certainly in europe if not the world uh that it has a, a greater share of the best irish yearlings offered every year and that the catalogue is improving year on year and that last year's sale was um, a successful sale full of very very good looking horses and obviously we're not too far away from from this year's Orbi sale i'll be over over with you next week um on given what you have seen from the sales season so far from saratoga through doville and and beyond how excited encouraged apprehensive all of the above are you well i yeah but we're always we're always all of the above and the closer you get the more you sort of get quieter even people like me get quieter but what I would say is we've got five. We've catalogued 511 horses before wildcard, so we've catalogued 515. It is a mouthwatering catalogue, and and you know what we we said we said to Irish breeders we got it wrong a couple of years ago. Can you help us last year? They supported us. It went really well. Our, our buyer attraction team did a great job. We got buyers from all over the world. Significant numbers from America, huge numbers from England, Ireland, across Europe, Middle East, Far East, and we're expecting the same again. But our 515 lots, a very, very good bunch. I mean, headed by 11 from the penultimate crop of the legend that's Galileo. But every side you'd want to see in there, from Dubawi to Kingman to Frankel, and to see the stars to Invincible Spirit to Night of Thunder, Dark Angel, Kodiak, Tsayuni, you name it they're there and what what the what the vendors have really told us is that they they were impressed by what we were able to do with their support um and we are nothing without their support nothing without their horses and we definitely have a greater share of the best that's available to the market this year so we're, we're hopeful uh we're quietly optimistic because as you say the market seems to be going relatively well at the moment we were very pleased with our golf uk premier sale but as you say, uh, Saratoga for Phasing Tipton, Keeneland's gone well. Uh, Arcata had a good sale. They're having a good sale up in Fairy House. So you'd be hopeful. And uh, we've got huge interest from buyers. I mean, the person who organises the hotel accommodation is the most stressed-looking person in Goffs at the moment because she's running out of space. Well, that is a good sign. Uh, Henry, looking forward to it very much and looking forward to the race on Saturday. Look forward to seeing you, Nick. Thank you very much. Well, thank you to all my guests today. Cornelius Lysett is still with me and has a tip for you, perhaps for the first day of the Cambridgeshire Festival. For the first day of the Cambridgeshire, the British Stallion Studs EBF Premier Phillies Handicap. And I was thinking maybe some more prize money for William Haggis here. Uh, number four, uh, Tahib, uh, which was a winner at uh, Great Yarmouth uh, the other day. Um, Jim Crowley rides in the Shadwell Silks. They've had to be pretty patient with this filly, but uh, she won at Great Yarmouth on the 13th of September, uh, like uh, she won, she won pretty well, like she could go on from there. So I'm hoping 225 new market number four, Tahib. Cornelius, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. That was Thursday, September the 22nd. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.